Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I'm speaking with AJ Perez, uh, the founder and CEO of NV Bots, now the chairman. And his uh, website is N as in Nancy, V as in Victor, bots, B O T S dot com. Uh, they do 3D printing. How are you doing, AJ? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, um, would you mind telling folks, you know, there are some 3D printing companies out there. What, what do you guys make that's unique and how do you do it? There are a few things that separates EnvyBots from everybody else that's out there. And at the most basic level to your average consumer or business owner, it comes down to the economics and the ease of use of the systems that we produce. And we achieve that through technology in a few different ways. The, the basic premise of our differentiation versus other companies when we found, founded our business was all around making 3D printing easy to use and to be used in a production type of environment. If you've never had experience yourself with 3D printing, it's difficult to, to get your head around it. But 3D printers, before we invented automated part removal, were not automated. They required a human being to show up to the machine to manually cut off the part or remove the part from the printer so that it could start the next job. I like to make the analogy is imagine you had a paper printer that can only do one sheet of paper at a time. How often would you use that? Gotcha, Independent yeah. of whether or not it's black and white versus color, you know, a lot of companies are trying to differentiate on what materials they can work with. But at the most basic level, we've created a system that's as easy as Control-P, except you can do it in any material, plastic or metal, and you can do page after page after page, or in the 3D world, part after part after part. That's, that's really innovative. That's almost like the assembly line under Ford, in a way, to you know, revolutionize cars. Exactly. I would like to take credit for us creating the assembly line for additive manufacturing, but that's a <laughs> it's a little bit over of an oversimplification. But it, it is really the the fundamental difference of what we've created is the ability to use it economically in a production environment. So, what is it about your system that um, that lets companies do that? Is it a conveyor belt system, or you know, what aspects to it allow um, companies to do this? So we have a really cool video on our website that shows it happening. But essentially what it is is a, a mechanism that cuts underneath the part, removes it, and pulls it into, the, into a bin on the side of it. We call it a robotic arm, automated removal mechanism, arm for short. Hmm. Okay. And what, um, how much higher throughput have you experienced on average versus uh, the traditional methods of you know, doing one thing at a time? Well, when our... It really comes down to what the customer is using it for. And, and this is always just a question of economics. If you've got enough money to throw labor at the problem, you can pay somebody to be at the machine 24-7. And in that case, we'll have the exact same throughput. But in that model, we're about three to four times cheaper than our competitor in terms of cost. Oh, wow. And if you only pay somebody nine to five, five days a week, in that model, we produce about three to four times as many parts per week. So it really depends how you slice it. 
Right. Okay, I understand. Yeah, and the machine doesn't have to sit idle. Um, it, I'm sure it counteracts a lot of problems. Okay. Correct. I always like to say work? to people. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's okay. Go ahead. I always like to say to people, if you're only going to produce one part a month, two parts a month, go buy the cheap 3D printer that you can get for a couple hundred bucks off of Amazon or something. But if you mm -hmm. plan on using it for tens of parts a week or a month, we have a Xerox-like solution. It's designed for an office or a large group of people to share and use simply and easily within an organization to print part after part after part after part without having to pay somebody with an engineering degree to babysit the machine. That's great. So um, are you selling this as a standalone system that works with existing 3D printers on site, or do you have your own printer that comes along with it? We have our own integrated solution. So it comes. the solution that we offer to our customers has what's called the Envy Cloud. And the Envy Cloud is, in some elements of it, it's kind of like an iTunes store for 3D models. You can go into the library, either select parts that we've created that you can use, or upload your own models. And then once you've got it into what we call 3D Print Preview, this is where it starts to feel a lot like Control-P. You choose high quality, low quality, what strength do you want to do, and you hit print. Then that sends it to the NV Pro, which is the hardware that we sell. That prints it out, automatically removes it using our patented removal arm, and starts the next job automatically. Gotcha. So what materials can the NV Pro handle and what dimensions? So the Envy Pro is a product that produces hard plastic parts. And the size of the parts are about 8 inches by 8 inches by 10 inches. And for those of the, those of the listeners that like the metric system, it's about 200 by 200 by 250 millimeters. Hmm. And what, what kind of applications is this suitable for and which kind of applications would need um, either different materials or larger print scales? So the applications that the NV Pro is great for are very common in an engineering environment or even just in a general office. You'll see, and this kind of goes for 3D printing in, in general in a prototyping sense, it can be used for model making. So if you have a customer that's coming in and you want to show them a prototype of what you're going to mass produce for them, you can do that. If you're a marketing firm and you need to produce a stencil for a sign that you're going to be spray painting a bunch of, you can do that very easily with a 3D printer. When you look at architecture firms, you can print an entire scale model of the city or the housing complex that you're going to build and not have to spend countless hours at night toiling with popsicle sticks and glue, things like that. So there are a lot of different applications just in the general, hey, I need a thing in my hand to show somebody else or to use for a very basic practical purpose. And then you can throw it into an engineering context. And when engineers get their hands on it, that's when the world starts to open up. I've got a couple of customers right. now that are using it. They have a production facility. They've got one machine, another machine, and a robot sits in the middle. And when the when the machines go from making widget one to widget two, the robot needs to change its hand, and they 3D print the hands. Huh. Interesting. Well, so all sorts of applications. Yeah, what are what are some of the most common applications you're seeing of your uh, of your NV Pro? What kind of companies or industry or or use cases? Typical is such a hard word to 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 pin it down because what we've created is a device that can fabricate almost anything within those dimensions out of the materials you care about. So I I can't say that there is a typical end use case, 
But from a customer's perspective, if you were to wash away what the business is doing with it, there are very simple use cases. Uh, you'll have a manager with a large group of employees, sometimes five, sometimes up to 200, that are reporting to them. And they use the system to take all of the, the requests for production from each of their engineers, their designers, their salespeople, their marketing people, filter it through a layer of management, and then the management approves it. It gets added to the print queue, and it prints it all out. The application that they're using it for is going to be specific to their business. But the use right. case is very, very similar. Have you found that um, in order to sell the NV Pro that you have to you know, show people what other people are doing to say, oh, okay, I see we could use it for that? Or do companies seem to uh, quickly, intuitively know, understand what they'll use it for? It depends. And, and the reason it depends is do the people that are buying have any experience with 3D printing or not? So we started our business in education, and there's a lot of applications of our technology in education. We have curriculum that sits in the NV library that makes it easy to print and easy to use the 3D printing system. And if you have already gone through a school and learned how to use the NV Pro there, and you go and work for a Ford or a Boeing, it is going to be super easy for you to pick it up and know what 3D printing is going to be used for. But if you spent your whole life learning conventional manufacturing and that's all you know, it's got a little bit steeper of a learning curve, but I would say that that's broad strokes just across the industry in general. Every single 3D printing company has that problem. People aren't trained on it yet. It's mm -hmm. like computers back in the 70s and 80s. Nobody knew what to use them for until some folks came up with killer applications. Right, yeah, exactly. Any, and uh, everybody got trained your... on it. That was the critical point. That's true, yeah. Okay. Um, any surprising or weird or strange uh, uses or particularly useful ones that you've seen um, users come up with? So I ate my own words one time, and this was three years ago, four years ago, when we were really focused on education. We've since transitioned our business to being much more commercial-facing, but mm -hmm. the, the application was actually really cool. I had somebody ask me, AJ, can you use 3D printing to teach math? I said, I don't think so. I was wrong. And a teacher proved me wrong and built curriculum around it, and they were able to teach different concepts like geometry and calculus using 3D printing. I, I just didn't think it was oh. possible, and I was just dead wrong. So I've learned since then when somebody asks, can you do this, I think of ways to do it instead of saying no. Is there any uh, curated resource that shows you know, 100 or 500 different uses of 3D printing just so people that want to get into it more and see what's possible you know, get get a seed in their mind of what can be done? There's no big, I can look at one picture and see everything at once. There are a few really good Twitter feeds. I think one of, one of them is ours. We try to stay pretty agnostic in terms of what we're tweeting about and what we have on social media, Pinterest, all, all the above. So there's some good social media feeds that will just talk about what's cool and what's going on in 3D printing. That will give you pretty okay. broad strokes of what's happening. But if you go and drill into a specific company and you go to their website and look for applications, it's going to be what is our technology best suited for. So there's nobody is really promoting it at an individual level. I guess the closest you would get to one big picture is America Makes. It's a federal organization or a federally funded organization by the U.S. government, and their job is to help coordinate government efforts with industry and sit in the middle 
and provide a landscape to all the big businesses that want to leverage 3D printing. So I would say that might be the closest resource to it, besides just generally social media of some of the agnostic uh, news feeds. All right, so EnvyBots, uh, a good place to follow you guys would be where in social media? At EnvyBots. Okay, Twitter. All right. And then yep, you said, on, on what would you call them? There were just EnvyBots okay. on all of them. Right. And what was the organization you talked about? American what? America Makes. America Makes. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, how about a little bit about your background? What got you into this industry and, you know, what? where do you come from? It's actually kind of funny what got me into 3D printing, but I'll start with what I, what I was doing at the time. I was a student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and I was studying mechanical engineering. And I was trying to prototype a few other hardware ideas that I had with a, a few of my colleagues who ended up becoming co-founders of EnvyBots. And we built a 3D printer out of necessity and started using it, and it sucked to share and to use around the clock, which was our use case. There were four of us that wanted to print a lot of stuff all the time because we had a lot of different ideas. And right. that was, it was a very organic, hey, we found a problem, we solved it, and then lo and behold, realized there was a tremendous market opportunity, and we spun it out and started a business there. But our intent was not to automate 3D printing. We were using 3D printing okay. and trying to make it better, and then it just so happened that we automated 3D printing. All right, so it came out of your frustrations with yeah. the existing world of 3D printing. Yeah, I would self-describe as an inventorpreneur myself. Okay. I was, if you had asked me five years ago, a year before I invented it, if I would be a 3D printing guy five years from now, I would say no, but <laughs> here I am. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I asked you briefly, so you have your NV Pro that goes along with your uh, throughput system. Is there any, you think it will be valuable or useful to allow other companies to retrofit or retrofit other 3D printing systems to make them throughput-style systems? So retrofitting will, will never work. There, there are a few machines out there that it could work on, but broad strokes, retrofitting doesn't work. And, and the reason retrofitting doesn't work is you have to design the system from the ground up to run using automation. You have to have a, a place for the parts to go when you're done. You see a lot of 3D printers on the market that are completely inside of a box. That just doesn't work. Right. Yeah, so that's true. Uh, we we are open to working with other companies that want to adopt our technology. We've created and set a standard for automation and 3D printing, but their 3D printer isn't um, physically architected to work in an automated system in most cases. And, not right. to, and, right. and kind of drawing that even further is you go buy a $1,000 3D printer, those guys that designed it, designed it for a consumer to have in their house, maybe print 20 things in two years, and then the warranties bust, and that's it. They didn't design yeah. it to operate 24-7, unsupervised, with no human. There's just a level of precision in the quality of the product, and that that's a big step change. Gotcha, Okay. You can make an unreliable automated 3D printer, but people want reliability first. Yeah, definitely. Any, I mean, is EnvyBots looking to any industries to try to integrate with them? Maybe the um, semiconductor industry or the auto industry? Or honestly, if you named any industry, those are the those are the ones that 
we're constantly getting inbound interest to use our technology. And it's because what we've created is such a, a fundamental disruption in what 3D printing can be used for. And the reason that I say that is if you are trying to create a, if you're a surgeon and you have an MRI of a patient's head and you want to see where the tumor is before you go and operate, you can 3D print that. You can also 3D right. print a clip for an umbilical cord. That's, an, that's a medical application. You can, in an aerospace environment, replace the latch inside of the bathroom on a Boeing aircraft or an Airbus. You can, in an automotive environment, replace the gear shifter inside of your trans, uh, on your transmission. In a general industrial environment, you can replace the hands of a robot with a 3D printed component. So there's all sorts of different right. applications, and we're constantly getting inbound interest. Really what it comes down to for, for customers is a question of, am I serious about using 3D printing? Or do I want to use it for prototyping? Or you know, like you know what I mean? Is, am I going to use this for production? Right. Or am I going to use it for prototyping? And where we well, win is when people want to do more than five of something. And, and when I say where we win, where our customers win using our technology, because it comes down to very fundamental economics here. If you buy a cheap 3D printer, say a thousand dollar 3D printer, and you put the material cost, you put all the costs on the table. If you just produce one part, it's not that bad. You know, an example would be a little whistle. If you want a custom whistle with your logo, your face, your name on it, whatever you want it to be, and you want to produce one, with a conventional 3D printer that requires materials, machine, maintenance, all the above, plus a man. And that human cost is a really big cost. So let's say, and these are pretty realistic numbers, that the material cost and the machine cost for that one print job is 50 cents. For us, it's 50 cents. For them, it's 50 cents. But they have to pay for labor. We, Our customers don't pay for labor. So that whistle goes from 50 cents for us to $5.50 for any other 3D printer. Well, what's interesting is that um, 3D printing promises possibly to bring jobs back from overseas. overseas. And with you guys solving the, um, you know, the automation <clears throat> and throughput problem, it seems like it would accelerate that. And... Um, a lot of manufacturing companies may want to, you know, use your system so they don't have to rely on overseas and transportation and delays and lag times and all that. Correct. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and that's why we integrated our hardware so closely with our software. That's why we built mm -hmm. the Envy Cloud with the Envy Library in mind. It's so that consumers or the users can see what they want and produce it immediately on demand. Gotcha. In Are you guys, one, um, you know, you don't have to mass produce. You can make a completely custom whistle, and that right. same business owner that owns that 3D printer that's letting you print the whistle for the next guy can 3D print a statue of them juggling, whatever. It doesn't even matter because it can go from yeah. thing to thing with no tooling cost involved. Do you think this will lead to the creation of new types of businesses, maybe like an on-demand, like a, a Kinko's of 3D printing? Where people can go in there and, and oh okay, uh, we actually have a couple of case examples of this. Um, one most recently, we we did a a small favor for the general consul of the United Arab Emirates. They were holding their 45th National Day, and they asked us to print miniature versions of the Burj Khalifa, so that all the citizens mm -hmm. that were sitting in the that came to the event in Boston could take home a Burj Khalifa with them, which is something that they're very proud of as a nation. So they came to us and right. said, hey, can you print these out? 
our core business model is not doing printing. But we were able to do it because it was so simple as take their model, put it on the queue, print them out, put them in a box, hand it to the guy when you showed up to pick it up. And we did it as a favor. So we've demonstrated that there. But then on the flip side, we actually have a customer which is in an educational setting, which is really interesting how perfectly it mirrors the Kinko's model. MIT has our printers on campus and has them open to students to submit a job, pay for it, pick it up. Right. Which is exactly what Kinko's did. They started right on a college campus. Wow. <clears throat> And we didn't so what do you sell it. Is, we didn't sell it to them, or they didn't buy it with the intent of print services. But they realized yeah. that's what it was incredibly powerful for, because all of the other 3D printers they have on campus are designed for one trained operator to use, not for everyone to share. Right, gotcha. So, what do you see as the next um, <clears throat> immediate step for Envibots? Are you going to move to? New materials, same platform, or are you going to make a, a faster platform, or what's what's next for you guys? New materials, definitely. Um, we have a really exciting research group called Envy Labs that is focused on doing metal 3D printing and research into multi-metal 3D printing. This is a, a new green space that nobody has touched yet in the 3D printing world. We've demonstrated our ability to print parts in excess of 10 times faster than the fastest metal 3D printer on the market today. Hmm. Our ability to build multiple metals in a part. That's not a product yet today. So everybody has to temper their expectations of when they can get their hands on it. Yeah. But uh, that's where we're expanding it because we really, you know, we, where we could push the envelope on our product is making a bigger robot. But it's it's highly likely that we'll just work with somebody that makes a industrial quality robot that's willing to design it around our automation and plug into our cloud software. Like I was saying before, we have very little apprehension to work with other 3D printing companies that want to plug into the Envy Cloud and that want to use our automation technology. The issue is they're just not designed for it. Retrofits don't work. But if you work with somebody that's going to design it from the ground up, very easy to do. Are you going to be licensing your uh, automation technology then to other 3D printing companies so they can integrate it? They should they should uh, reach out to us if they're interested in having those discussions. Okay, but you guys are open possibly to such an arrangement depending on circumstances. Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw the news maybe mid, mid-November now. We announced a relationship with Cincinnati Incorporated. They're a industrial okay. equipment manufacturer. They have the world's largest plastic 3D printer called the BAM. And now through a partnership with us, they have a product called the SAM, which is small area additive manufacturing, which is an automated 3D printer that's plugged into the Envy Cloud. Yeah, that's good. I talked to them. They're, they're real nice guys. Yeah, that's excellent. You're partnering with them. That's good. Okay. Um, a question I've been asking a lot of the interviewees, uh, you partially answered it. What's So what's realistic right now? What's fantasy and, you know, same answer, but uh, five years from now? And it's actually really funny that you're asking that because I'm giving a talk on this tomorrow inside 3D printing. Oh, nice. I, I, I guess by the time that this podcast goes live, it will be last week. But um, mm. what's real today is the ability to cut down on your supply chain time and cut down on your prototyping costs in a very big way. What's fantasy is a machine that 
through the you know from the click of a button on my smartphone will produce a jet engine in one piece with no post processing, no assembly, and it's just going to take right off the ground and fly. That, that's yeah. fantasy world, and that's going to be fantasy world. And maybe I'll bite my words in 50 years, but I think for our lifetimes, the I'm going to have a thing that's going to come off and work in a very high end engineering application right off of a machine. I think that that's a fantasy world. I could be wrong, but from what I've seen is there's not a single additive process today. Even when the big boys are using it, like GE, they're still taking it from the 3D printer and putting it into another machine to do finishing touches, assemble it into a bigger design, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha, okay. Any other insights? This, this fantastic notion that, the fanciful notion that 3D printing is going to you know, throw away the Chinese manufacturing economy and what used to be our manufacturing economy, you know, the second industrial right. revolution, assembly lines, big factories. Now what you're going to have is this micro factory. That's going to be true for simple components where tolerances don't matter that much. You know, think of a, a statue or a whistle, mm. a bookmark. Basic consumer-type products, a fork, a knife, very easy to do. 3D printing is going to disrupt those industries today and in the, over the next five years. But right. I don't see us in humanity printing an airplane and it's just going to fly right off of the printer anytime soon. Right. Or an and entire comes car down to with the engineering in. requirements. Exactly. Oh, you might print the chassis to make it lighter weight, but I don't think you're going to print mm. the leather. Okay. What if, well, that does bring us to the medical world. Um, you know, it looks like so far artificial hips you know, implants, that kind of thing are being 3D printed. Um, people are working on organs, at least for lab use. You know, you talked about a, a model of someone's head if they had a, a tumor, for instance. Um, what do you think about the medical world? Do you think that we're going to actually be able to 3D print organs in the near future? Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> don't ask me to place a bet on what time frame, but definitely in the future. That, that's that's such low-hanging fruit in terms of pain that we suffer as humanity. You know, when we look across the board, what's, what's the point of 3D printing? It's not to replace cheap plastic trinkets. It's, it's to yeah. fundamentally alter the course of human history. And we now will have the ability, or if we invest in the research and the technology behind it, the ability to print a human organ. I mean, bye-bye donor list. You don't, you don't need that anymore if you can just produce using somebody's stem cells. There's a lot of research and a lot of politics that are inhibiting it, prohibiting it, promoting it. It, it really depends on the angles that you're looking at it from. But I, I see a lot of really strong candidates to have you know, kidneys, livers, stomachs, hearts, all of those things. I don't think we're really going to ever understand the human brain, probably not in my lifetime. But right. those other more basic organs, we've we've kind of figured out how to how to recreate tissue at this point. You can 3D print a burger and meat. You just got to figure out how to make it useful. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and then um, last question or two. You said you're, you're going to be speaking at uh, Inside 3D Printing. Um, for listeners, what you know, what do you guys hope to get out of the conference? Anything that um, is going to be there that you think would be not only of interest to you, but uh, to listeners? So I'm actually one of the invited speakers, and I'm speaking on a topic called 
Industry 4.0 and what's the role of 3D printing in Industry 4.0? Industry 4.0 is this this notion of industrial Internet of Things. So I'm speaking on that topic because I told you my undergraduate degree was in mechanical engineering. I continued and did my master's of advanced manufacturing focused on manufacturing systems. And mm -hmm. Industry 4.0 is really just the, the digital study of manufacturing systems and how to make them more economically efficient for whoever owns the factory. Uh, so that's the topic I'm talking on. I think there's some really interesting macro trends now happening at all of the 3D printing conferences. Five years ago, okay. you would have never seen an entire course. You know, there's two courses, two tracks in Inside 3D Printing this, this time around, and one of them is metal. Five years ago, you wouldn't have seen that. So there's a lot of interest in metal 3D printing. Okay, very good. So, yeah, last question for companies um, that are interested in your automation technology, you know, the ARM technology, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, you know, for, again, use, licensing, whatever it may be that, uh, that they're interested in? So you can email me directly at ajp at nvbots.com with a really compelling message that's going to make me respond to it, or you can hit our website and go through either our info page or any of our contact us forms to get in touch with the company in general. Uh, my my interest, personally, if you're listening to this, would be to talk to companies that are interested in our automation technology, the NV Cloud, our metal printing technology. If you're interested in buying one of our machines, you should definitely go through our website. But if you're interested in partnership discussions, things of that nature, you can contact me directly. All right, well, that's great. That's great. I really appreciate your time to do the interview, and uh, it's been very informative, and uh, you're well-spoken. Thank you for doing it. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.